ultimately if i set an appointment for you i don't get paid unless that that client closes so i'm going to do whatever i can to help you if you need me to send a text message if you need me to send an email i am pitting myself as your assistant forever and always every single time i set this appointment so if they ever need to fall back they totally can they can always fall back to me and ask a question you're out of town i will step in because i need that deal to close and so do you. So we're just going to work together as a team. That's just the best relationship you can possibly have. And a lot of times agents will actually look at ISAs and like, wow, that is my golden ticket to retirement is if I just keep this relationship very well off with the ISAs because they control everything coming into the business. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, today I'm fired up because I got Travis Halverson on the call. He works with John Chetblack. He's got a brand, uh, Canary Conversion, that's actually a part of Livian, and he works for Oak and Ocean as a leader, uh, a keeper of the leads. This guy has done thousands and tens of thousands of deals, I'm guessing at this point, off of conversions through the team. So there's probably no one greater out there to talk to than Travis Halverson on when it comes to leads. So Travis, open us up with what's the craziest thing that you've seen as a leader of ISAs? Oh, man. The craziest thing that I've seen as the leader of ISAs um, or as a leader of ISAs, honestly, I think it's just how often leads in databases get neglected. I guess that's usually the, the big majority of things that I always see. And I guess craziest thing is lead some teams will have databases of like 40,000 plus leads in their database. And I mean, roughly two to 3% is actually talked to. And it's, they've done great things off of that two to 3%, but it's always great to bring to their attention what they could potentially do if they're talking at 95%. So it's always, it's always fun to give, I guess, CEOs and owners of companies like a big shock when I say, hey, can I go through your database and just take a look at it? I've had people just have panic attacks. Be like, how is this possible? How are we doing this? It's like, it's really easy to forget that all those leads are in your database. That's right. So give us a sense. Like, I mean, you've looked at a lot of databases. What would you say is kind of the normal thing that you see What as far as engagement percentage? And then what is your guys' engagement percentage? Roughly anywhere between three to 5% is an average number out of the databases I've looked at. And I've been, I mean, I've been helping about 60 teams over the last, I guess, three months. Um, out of those 60 teams or so, I've seen about three to 5% just database engagement across just different CRMs and everything. Um, we usually stick at around a 95% database engagement. That means everybody in our database goes no more than 91 days without some form of communication. Um, and that's not just like a massive blast to all 65,000 leads in our database. That's not like a, here's a market newsletter update. This is intentional follow-up. This is a text message from, I guess, me to you. This is a email from me to you. This is a phone call from me to you. This isn't a, let's just put them on a batch email or a MailChimp email and just send it something. That's not the way we like to do things. We like to do follow-up with intention. Yeah. And I mean, if you're talking about a database, let's say of 50,000 people and you're hitting them at least four times a year, I mean, you're talking about managing 200,000 text messages. If, if those are calls every 90 days, 200,000 phone calls, can you talk to us about like, say you're a team leader, what, what's a, a way to be even begin to think about the task of doing this if you've got a large database that has 3% engagement? I mean, my biggest thing to them would be hire either an ISA or a lead, lead database manager or a VA or someone that can be doing it for you. Because if they're focused on selling real estate, it's really going to be tough for them to go back through their databases. I mean, I talk to agents all the time that have, say, 
5,000 people in their own personal database and it's impossible for them to sell leads or sorry, sell clients homes within the next 30, 60, 90 days and still talk to those number like 6,000. You know what I mean? It's hard for you to talk to lead number five while you're still worried about lead number 865 or lead 2,412. You know what I mean? Those people are all real people and they all have real timelines and real needs. But the thing is though, is how can you really designate your time to follow up with those leads if you can't handle it? That's why I always say you need to hire help, but you need to hire the right person that can do that stuff and really teach them and coach them to do the follow-up that you need them to do for you. And so there's like, generally, if you're thinking about this, you got ISAs, which are obviously the people making the calls. And then you got database managers, which could function as support to the ISAs. But you also like in your case, you'd be more like a general contractor in, in a construction project than, than an assistant, right? Should someone be thinking about, hey, I should hire a database manager first that then hires the ISAs or just go out and hire an ISA right away? I would always recommend hiring an ISA right away just because you want to make sure that those leads, I mean, you can coach them and train them to talk to the leads that are already in your database. Over time, when your database gets so large where you do have like 60,000 to 100,000 leads in your database, that's when you probably need a database manager, someone that can make sure that leads are on drips, leads are on getting listings, leads are in the right places where they need to be. They're not in people's databases for a certain amount of time without being removed, things like that. Making sure that past clients are on past client action plans, a lot of different things. That's where a database manager manager comes into play because an ISA is going to set up opportunities and set up appointments. And usually that ISA or that lead ISA can transition into a database manager role, which me personally, I've just stepped up and started just being the database manager, but I always will still set appointments because that's just in my blood and I love to do it. So, I mean, realistically, you can end up turning someone into that, but if you don't have the, I guess the volume or you don't have the budget or you don't have the leads itself to just hire a database manager automatically, hire an ISA first and get them up to where they need to be to the point where you can start hiring more help. But I would always recommend ISA first. What should be the metrics structure when you hire an ISA? When you say metrics, what do you mean by that? So KPI, so you got 10,000 people in a database, 10,000 leads, you hire ISA, how many calls should they be making per day? How many contacts? How, how should you structure so, the compensation with them? Yeah, of course. I always look at it as, um, I don't necessarily, I don't like painting people in a box, for instance. Like yep. I don't like saying, okay, you have to make this many dials in a day. Yeah. Because I mean, we're in 2023. Some people prefer to be talked to by text. Some people prefer to be talked to by email. So I just call it straight up attempts. So a call is attempt, um, a text is an attempt, an email is an attempt. Um, we're always shooting for conversations. A conversation is a two-way conversation or a two-way communication, whether that is if I talk to you on the phone, a conversation lasts two minutes or more. That's that's a conversation. That is a that is a contact. That is a connect. If we send a text back and forth, it's got to go like two levels deep. So I got to send you a text. You have to reply. I have to send you another text, and then you have to reply again. Okay, that is a contact or a connection. Um, same with email on the text message side of things. So um, that right there, we usually shoot for, let me see, I mean, roughly about 400 attempts to 500 attempts a day is the way we're looking at it. And then I look at 35 to 40 contacts or conversations a day. And then I usually push for about nine nurtures a day and then three appointments a day. So three appointments, nine nurtures, 35 to 40 contacts, 40, 450 to about 500 attempts a day. Wow. This, this is some pretty good volume. I'm guessing by the fact that you said a conversation counts at the two minute mark, are you guys using follow-up boss as your system? 
Yep, we do. Yeah. Yes. So I, yeah, I've used Follow Boss for a long time. I even spoke at FubCon uh, last year, which was great. Um, talked about lead generation and using automations and action plans and things like that to really take your database to the next level because it's something that in the six years that I've been doing this, it's something that I've really leaned on and been able to leverage out. And I know a lot of people don't really understand it. I'm not the smartest guy in the room by any means and I'll never pretend to, but I will always say that no matter what, I will still work my database better than anybody because I know what I can and cannot leverage out. And I, like I said, I just, I want to have my database work for me instead of me work my database. Um, and follow boss does a phenomenal job at that. It's the best CRM in the business by far. So, and I say it all the time. So what about follow boss? makes it the best the customizability um the filters the smart lists the um the way to make it work for me like allows me to set up different things like allows me to build action plans automations tag anything i want um access and allow permissions and restrict permissions lead flow um, then the reporting side of things is just next next level type stuff so i mean there's a lot of different things that a lot of businesses really need in their own everyday life and follow boss just has it all in one crm the cool thing i like about follow boss itself is it doesn't try to do something it's not good at you know what i mean it doesn't try to be a marketing company it doesn't try to generate leads for them there is no uh follow boss paid ad leads you know what i mean there's nothing like that it's just follow boss is a great crm it's not a good crm because it just focuses on being a CRM and only a CRM. Does that make sense? hundred percent. And I've, I used it for years. And so I'm very, very acquainted with software. I loved it for the same reasons. Being a person that loves calling and cold calling and, and building teams off of that, like it felt like it was designed for me in that capacity. So I- Yeah. Oh yeah. I, Especially as an ISA. I mean, like I've used every CRM you could ever imagine. I've looked at every CRM you could ever imagine. But once I got into follow-up boss, I'm like, this just feels right. Because as an ISA who's working in the database for 10 hours a day, it's like, I need to have these things. I need to be able to use these things and I need to be able to like adjust these things that I've always wanted in these other CRMs. But I'm like, the second I was in follow boss, I'm like, oh, it's already set up for me. Like, this is perfect. I couldn't have asked for a better CRM. So let's talk about follow-up particularly. So mm -hmm. would you say that the speed to lead is the biggest problem in most databases or it's the follow-up? I would say the biggest thing in databases is the speed to response, especially in today's market. Speed to lead is fantastic. That's great. But speed to lead can be automated. The problem is, though, is if a lead responds to you and you don't respond back, that person automatically just assumes that they just got a random generic automated text message. So if I send a text message out, I need to be ready to respond at any moment in time. And I've heard great people like Trent Wising say it's not even speed to lead or speed to response. It's speed to relationship. The sooner I can build a relationship with these leads, um, the better, the better that these leads are off. So it's like I can have a conversation. And the cool thing is, is we work 99% PPC leads over at our team. So all of our leads that come into our database are all just pay-per-click leads, Google, like they were just, I guess you would say middle of the funnel leads. Um, our system that we built out is to allow you to have a process. It's not a magic pill for any real estate team, but it's a process. And a lot of these teams that I talk to just don't have that. So if I can build this out and show these teams that this is how you follow up with a lead. This is what you do with these leads. This is how you nurture a lead. It's, it's great because my system is designed to help them build a relationship, which we know in today's market, it's, it's a necessity to have a relationship with anybody you're talking about. The difference between a PPC lead and a Zillow lead is they just went to Zillow.com instead of cmyrtlebeachhomes.com. You know what I mean? Things like that. That's just, that's literally the difference. So the way that we treat our leads here is speed to lead is great. We have the automation set up. 
speed to response is fantastic, but I need to capitalize on that speed to response by building a relationship, by setting myself apart from other people. So that's, yeah, that's what I'd probably say for that response. So essentially it's, it's both the systems to make sure that you have people notified when a response happens right away. And then the training so that once the response happens, they're focused a hundred percent on the relationship. Exactly. Yes. 100%. That's the best way to even look at that because a lot of times people just don't necessarily even know what to do once they get a lead. They usually just shoot to, oh, what has you looking at homes? It's like, okay, did you thank them for looking at your website compared to someone else's website? Did you appreciate the fact that they even responded to you? Because 45% of leads that respond or come to any website usually takes about, I mean, it's usually about 45% of the leads that register on a website will actually go unresponsive within the first 10 days. So um, the fact that they responded to you instantly or they're within the first 10 days, it just speaks volumes to what their motivation might actually look like. And thanking them is the best way forward. I mean, give, give us an example of the steps to build a relationship quickly. Yeah, of course. It's just like, hey, Matt, I really appreciate you taking the time to reply to me. Um, and I thank you for using our website because I know you could have looked at anybody else's. Um, was there anything specific that you might be looking for in our area? I know sometimes properties are off market or they're moving too quick. And sometimes online websites don't actually update. I can actually do just a personal search for you if you want me to. Boom. And then all of a sudden you're in. That's fantastic. And so when uh, a team leader or an agent is trying to establish a business that has a lot of leads, you guys are using PPC. What, what's your kind of your general thoughts on what lead sources should they pursue? How much should they spend? Yeah, of course. So when we look at PPC leads, we really looked at those as like a, like a database builder, for instance. So like we've been on, I guess, YLOPO is a lead source. I'm not sure if you've heard of YLOPO mm -hmm. before, um, but YLOPO is a lead source and we've been on them for about two and a half years, but we track our numbers pretty heavily. So any lead that's been in their database um, or any YLOPO lead that's closed recently, was in our database on average for about 13 months in our database. So uh, we track those numbers at a high level to make sure that we reach out at a specific time to make sure that those leads are gonna be more profitable and followed up with. So some team leaders or some CEOs will use those things to just get an influx of potential leads in the future. You have to have a very long-term mindset when it comes to PPC leads. And I know that some teams don't have that long-term vision or that long-term goal. But me personally, I'm like, I'm going to be in real estate for the rest of my life. I know that. And I know that these leads, these 65,000 leads in my database, I know that every single one of those leads, name, numbers, email, whether it's a vendor, whether it was a wrong number, whether it was a trash lead, whoever, every single one of those people will buy or sell real estate at one point in the next hundred years. You know what I mean? And that's how I look at the database. You have to have that mindset. And I guess it would be a, an abundance mindset instead of a scarce mindset, because I just have to find out when they're actually going to buy or sell real estate. And if people just take that approach to their database, their mind will adjust when it comes to these other lead sources like Zillow or these other national lead sources, their mindset can adjust and be like, you know what? He's right. The difference between a Zillow lead and a PPC lead is they just went to the right database or, or sorry, they just went to the right website. The problem is, is a Zillow lead will cost you however much, which is way more expensive than a PPC lead, which costs us $6. You know what I mean? So it's all about, all about your cost and what you're going to put into it and how you're going to work your database. So, yeah. And so the $6 lead it's, I mean, in leads generally, as far as quality are, are just, it's just a function of how far are they in the future before they transact. And, and, and so at a $6 lead, how does conversion decrease for you guys, or does it decrease based on the length of time they are away? So I've always been told, and this is the reason why that like 
I like my system a lot is because I get told all the time that it's just like, wow, we just haven't seen it work like this at scale. Mm. So the reason for it is a lot of PPC leads on average have about a one to 2% conversion rate. That's just normal. That's just across industry wide. Um, after I guess the last two years that we've just been on PPC leads itself, we sit at about an eight to 10% conversion rate on PPC leads. Holy and smokes. it's just because we change our mindset and we change our mindset and we adjust it. So this year I'm already set. I mean, we're 17 days into Q, what Q2. So we're 17 days into Q2. I have 27 closed and pending right now because of, and keep in mind, 99% of those are PPC leads, Ylopo leads. And the thing about it is, is our conversion rate is so high on that. I'll close a hundred units this year, only being an ISA. My first three hours of my day is dedicated to ISA work. And I'll close a hundred units this year, just because our database works itself with all the things that I've said prior to this, but it overturns and it really just works itself because these leads that are PPC or these middle funnel leads have the communications, have the automations, have the action plans and all this stuff set in stone. And we know that we can convert these leads because we don't treat them any different than any other lead source. They're all treated the same. They're all treated like million dollar buyers, whether they're looking at a $50,000 manufactured home, they're all treated with the respect and the care they need, but they're all treated like transactions. Does that make sense? It's incredible. It's a hundred transactions. So essentially what you're saying is don't treat the leads any different because they're not any different. They're just buyers and sellers and you're treating them like million dollar clients, which I think that's another nugget here. And so that being said, the only difference is, is in the agent or the team leader who's running this program, they just need to be prepared to make the spend for 13 plus months before they're going to see return on that dollar. Yeah. And I always tell people, I was like, this isn't necessarily a sprint. This is a 100% a marathon. And anytime I talk to a CEO, I'm just like, I always ask them, that's like, usually my first question is like, how long do you plan to be in real estate? It's like, oh, forever. This is my job. Like, this is my career. I'm like, okay, that's perfect then. So if we're going to go the route of PPC leads, you need to understand that you're not going to necessarily see a return for the next year or so. I mean, I do know agents that have signed up on things like Ylopo for the first day and they literally get a contract in the first month. I have a friend who literally, she's absolutely crushing it. Her name is Mel. She's killing it. And she literally just signed up on Ylopo, started doing all these things. And like, I think in the first like two weeks, she had a million dollar buyer under contract from a Ylopo lead. That lead cost her $10 and she has a million dollar pending already because of a Ylopo lead. It's, and she has been talking with me and she has that same mindset as me. It's all about how you approach these leads. That lead could have been a $150,000 buyer, but she treated it the same way she treated her million dollar buyer. And it's, it's just a good way to change how you do your, like do your follow-up and do your tasks each day and touch base with these clients is just treating them all the same, but being very relational. Once I get them on the phone, once I get them through text, my game changes. They're a, they're a transaction. When I look at a contact card, that is a transaction to me. The second they reply or the second that I get them on the phone, my mindset changes into how can I help Matt like make the biggest purchase of his life and what can I do to service him at such a high level that nobody else will be able to do it as. Yeah. Walk us through the process. Like yeah. how often do you call them? Like what's the process until you get engagement? Once you have engagement, how does it go from there? So, yeah. So I guess like when we always say like this 10 days of pain or some people call it 10, 10 days of gain, whichever way you want to call it. We just always said 10 days cause it was always just trained to be that way. Um, First day, they get an automated text message, automated email. They get a manual phone call from us. 
Um, that happens like that every single day for 10 days straight. And then they get moved to a specific spot in our database where it gets hit by everybody. Um, and that's just like agents calling the database, agents looking to cold call, other ISAs looking to cold call, other VAs looking to cold call. Just a lot of different people are looking to do specific things, but it all goes into just a bucket in the back where it's still getting followed up with the nurtured. Um, we still automatically make sure that it's getting an automated email and an automated text message for like the next 10 years. Um, but the calling is still going to be manual always. So, but just from different people. So first 10 days, they're getting hit 10 to 20 times after that, they're probably getting hit weekly or. Honestly, it's probably daily. We are, we're in a pretty big mindset of, and our, our CEO, Scott, he's a, he's a, he's a very big driver. I mean, we call him coach for a reason. So, I mean, he's a very big driver. If you're not making your dials, if you're not making your calls, your texts and your emails and all that stuff, you're not doing the right things to sell real estate. And if you don't have 10 under contract, then you're not where you need to be. You know what I mean? If you're not where you need to be, then you need to be in here doing the right things to get you to where you need to be. So everybody has metrics that they have to hit because we try our best to stay very, very um, high performing. We're a very high performing team and we're about 10 agents. We'll probably close about 150 million this year as 10 agents. Um, we have agents on our team that will close 30 to 40 million this year and they've been doing real estate for like about seven years. So um, we, we just, I guess, breed winners when it comes down to the right things that they need to do in order to get the, get the job done. And so when you're talking about agents doing 30 or 40 million, are you talking about people that are in there calling? Like, are you calling yourself an agent or is the only role that you do the ISA role? The only thing that I do is the ISA role. I just call set appointments for agents to go on to then close the business. And is that how all the 10 people are or the other ones? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, all the agents on our team get opportunities from ISAs. The ISA just LP mamas them, I guess. Yeah. Um, is the way to say it. I'm not sure if they know what LP mama is, but it's basically just how we qualify a lead, set up an appointment for an agent to either go to a house, call them because they're going to be coming down here in the next 90 days, whatever it could possibly be, get in touch with that client to then just go show them a home and write a contract. Yep. And guys, if you want to know what LP mama is, just comment LP mama. It's like location price. It's an acronym used to, to help qualify. So, okay. Yep. Super awesome. And so basically tell me like you love being an ISA clearly, which is so exciting to see because like it's bad. Sometimes I'm pretty passionate about it and it comes across and I know I can't put passion on people, but I try so hard and, and you should, you absolutely should because the industry I think doesn't do a lot of people a lot of favors because it, it kind of high ranks people like, okay, ISAs kind of get ranked towards the bottom, but they're the business oh, yeah. generating element. And so generally people are looking for every possible reason, whether it's status or otherwise to get out of that position, but you're cherishing it, which is amazing. So tell me like, what is it that you love about being an ISA so much? Well, it's, it all comes down to the fact that like, even when I was talking to John, um, John Chapak, he was basically telling me his first hire was an ISA. And it's like that right there really like that goes miles for me because I started as an ISA and I was always told that being an ISA is like the stepping stone into real estate, which to me, I was like, wow, I absolutely love being an ISA. How can this just be it? Like, how can this be a stepping stone in real estate if I want this to be my forever career? Because I know agents will like close a house and they'll have a forever client and they will fill up their cup. You know what I mean? They'll fill up their cup with joy and happiness of the fact that they made that happen. I get to do that with two different people. I get to do that with the client because I get to set them up with an agent. I get to fill up the cup of the client because I was able to set them up with an agent. That agent, I was able to help that agent 
gain financial freedom. I was able to help them get time back in their day because they didn't have to lead gen that lead or have that conversation, waste their time up front if it was a bad lead or like a bad time frame for that lead. They were able to get more time back in their day, go to a soccer game, go to their kids' baseball games, things like that. They were able to do that. And I know that if me sitting here for eight hours a day, I could have a great conversation. I get to talk to a stranger every time I make a dial and I get to help my, help my agents out you know what I mean? Get time back in their life and have financial freedom and hopefully retire one day because I helped make them financially like stable forever. You know what I mean? I was able to set them up for that. So that's what I like to do. I like to fill up two cups at the same time instead of just filling up one, which I love agents. and I love how, what agents do. It's just not something I could do. I just like sitting in my office all day and talking to new people all day. Yeah. So talk to us how you transition this from uh, a starting job into, I'm assuming you're well-paid as you should be. So how does someone that's in this scenario go from quote, just an ISA to rock star, super well-paid? How do they structure their compensation? So a lot of us, um, and a lot of the times I get asked this a lot, there's a lot, a lot of different ways that you can even pay an ISA. I know that you could do it based off of per appointments. You could do it based off of closings. I've always said just base salary of whatever market you're in, like, Obviously, it can't just be such a high-paid salary that they just don't aren't motivated to work. This is a sales job. This is a commission job. That salary shouldn't even be in their mindset, and it shouldn't be something they even shoot for. It should just be that that, that cushion that they know that they can fall back on, which to be fair, I don't even know the last time I even thought about my salary because I always shoot for closings, and I always shoot for that type of mindset. And that's what I always coach to. And I always say, like, if I can coach you to make 100K as an ISA, I think you're pretty well off. But the cool part about it is an ISA, if you're paid off of closings, every single year you get a raise. You know what I mean? Like the market's always going up and like the price of homes are going up. So, I mean, if we look where we're at, I mean, think what prices have only decreased twice since like World War II or once since World War II or something like that. So it's like, you're always getting a percentage raise every single day, as long as you just stay consistent with what you're doing. And year over year, I've always seen ISAs do a 25 to 30% increase as long as they stay consistent with what they're doing. I could have an ISA close 10 this year, next year they're closing 30, next year they're closing 60, next year they're closing 70, they're closing 100. You know what I mean? It's just constantly getting better at what they do. And that's that was me. I mean, that was exactly where I was. First year I closed like 25 homes. Next year I closed 50. Next year I closed 85, then 100 than a hundred plus, you know what I mean? It's just going to keep happening. The better you get in this, like in this industry, you're constantly getting better. What would you say the top end income potential is for an ISA? I know ISAs that make upwards of 250 to $300,000 a year. Yeah. I, I just love hearing you say that. I, I worked with a guy, we ended up becoming business partners where he was doing the same. And I think there's just a stigma that ISAs are kind of capped between 50 and hundred grand when in reality, if you get the right structure in the right place, I mean, it can, it can really move upwards for you. So, okay. So ISA goes out, they negotiate a really, really good deal. Like what, what is a, a good relationship? I mean, you've obviously built something inside of a brokerage. Like what should they be looking for as far as the structure, the working relationship? So like, are you saying like a structure when it comes to the team that they get hired on with? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I always talk about how like the relationship you have with your agents is going to make things just better off for you because having a toxic environment between you and your agents and being pitted against each other is always going to be tough because you're both trying to fight for the same thing. I mean, that, I mean, I have worked with agents and I've worked with ISAs that are on that same type of model where it's like, oh, we're getting paid off of this, but they're not getting paid off of that. They try to cut ISAs out of the deal, but it's just like, if you guys are both working towards the same thing of a closing, 
why can't you guys just work together as a team? And that's that's the tough part. So I always look for what kind of relationship the agents and the ISAs have, and then how can you mend that? Because ultimately, if I set an appointment for you, I don't get paid unless that that client closes. So I'm going to do whatever I can to help you. If you need me to send a text message, if you need me to send an email, I am pitting myself as your assistant forever and always every single time I set this appointment. So if they ever need to fall back, they totally can. They can always fall back to me and ask a question. You're out of town. I will step in because I need that deal to close. And so do you. So we're just going to work together as a team. And that's just the best relationship you can possibly have. And a lot of times agents will actually look at ISAs like, wow, that is my golden ticket to retirement is if I just keep this relationship very well off with the ISAs because they control everything coming into the business. 100%. And do you feel like the compensation structure matters there? Like, is it important that every time an ISA touches a deal, like they, they, they're guaranteed to get paid to, to create some confidence in them? Or how would, how do you think about like, when does someone qualify to get paid on a deal? So the first thing I always say, and especially when it comes down to ISAs, whenever I have an ISA, like for instance, and this would be maybe off topic, but whenever I have an ISA ask me for like a raise on their salary side, I usually question their motivation because it's like, if I was an ISA and I was asked to get a raise, I'd be asking for a raise on the commission side because I know that I'm going to work hard to get my commission and earn that commission. But if I ask for a salary raise, it's basically saying, can I be lazier to just get paid an hourly? You know what I mean? So that's always that first That's that first thing. So if it's a CEO that's listening to this and they have an ISA that's asking that, I'd be like, well, what if I just change it up and paid you more on your commission side? What kind of response do they give to that? You know what I mean? That's showing you what kind of work ethic do they actually have. But when I've always seen getting paid off of closings compared to getting paid off of appointments set, it's very easy to gain the system on getting paid from appointments set. If you get paid from based off of appointments set, I can set 100 appointments. They could be, and I don't know if I can swear, but half-assed appointments. Um, if they're half-assed appointments, then like, what did that do for the business? It made that agent like not have trust in me because they probably knew it was half-assed. But also, like, did I do the due diligence of LP Mama fully? You know what I mean? But if I get paid off of closing, I'm going to make sure that lead closes. I don't want to waste the agent's time just as much as I don't want to waste my own time. So I'm not going to set up an appointment if I know that this lead could potentially just come back to me and I'm just going to have to nurture this lead again. What was the point of me setting that to begin with? Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. And so in relationship to the relationship between the agent and the uh, ISA, do you typically see that only one gets paid or they're both getting paid? Or what happens when they go oh, in the bucket? Yeah. So for instance, like if I have a lead and this, I always tell people, it's like, if you have an ISA that called the lead and talked to him for two minutes and got all the information that was necessary and set it up for an agent and they close it, you're probably going to pay that lead or you're going to probably pay, pay that ISA. If you have a lead come in and they send a couple of text messages back and forth and blah, 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 blah. I never pay off of based off of like how long they've had the lead. Cause if I'm going to pay an ISA to nurture a lead for six years, I'm going to pay an ISA to nurture a lead for six minutes. And that's just going to build an unhealthy environment. If I say like, well, you didn't really do your whole due diligence. Now, if I got all that information in six minutes and I filled out this sheet that basically says I did it, then yeah, 100% I expect it to be paid because I did the work for it. But if they say like, oh, you missed this, this, or this, and it's just like, all right, what kind of thing are we trying to do? So we've always been under the mindset of like, yo, if an ISA gets on this lead and they have a conversation, whatever that may be, we're going to pay the ISA. Now, if I, as the ISA manager, see that they're doing this a lot and often, and they're like, they're not fully going in deeper than they would have, or if I would have been like, hey, I would have gone deeper with this lead and asked these, like, these questions, or you made that agent work way harder than they needed to, where you could have potentially have asked it, then it would probably be like, hey, I'm just going to say, don't do this again. 
if you do it again, we might have to look if you should get paid or not on this. Do you understand? A lot of times they'll be like, yeah, I understand. And they'll know what they did. They know that they could have probably actually asked the questions deeper. But majority of the time, they end up just changing their mentality and they end up changing their attitude and they actually just do what they're supposed to do. So that's what I'd say to that. So when we're talking about the level of qualification that a lead should be at to, to qualify for an appointment, I mean, obviously we're using LP Mama, so location, price, motivation, agent, money, and appointment. So that being said, like, is there criteria for each of those or like, how do you gauge if appointment yeah. should be set? Um, well, for instance, like for our market or just our team here, we usually stick at around about a, like a $200,000 price point, just because we know in our market here, it's anything lower than 200,000. It's going to be very, very, very difficult to find. And a lot of those times, those price points are going to end up being like maybe fixer uppers and investors. So if we have a really good investor who's looking at prices, that's perfect. And they're like logical and they're vetted out and they're qualified. That's great. But we usually shoot to make sure that they're pre-approved. Um, we usually make sure that they are either, either they're pre-approved or they're a logical buyer. They sound logical and they say like, Hey, listen, I have my money stuff in order. I got this all figured out. My credit score is this. I just haven't talked with the lender yet, but I'm ready to like go look at this property. I'll give it to an agent to let them vet it out a little bit more to make sure. And like, I'll let them even say like, okay, yeah, but I'll always find out, are you willing to make an offer within the next 90 days? If they're willing to make an offer within the next 90 days, um, they're going to be here in the area because we're in a relocation market. So if they're just coming down for a visit and they want to go look at a property with an agent and they don't sound like they're just going to waste our time for a little bit, you know what I mean? Like they're not going to just run us ragged and they're open to having a meeting with the agent. Then yeah, we'll set that up because I want to say it's like 75% of clients that will end up using the first agent they meet with, which when in reality is like, okay, if they're coming down here and they say like, Oh, Travis, I don't want to meet with them because they're not pre-approved yet. I'm like, yeah, but just, we, we preach here that we give everybody an hour. We give everybody an hour just because we believe like, listen, that hour could turn into something in the future. And 75% of the time it's going to anyway, especially if they're a first time buyer. We just had one today that came in and it was a contract already because a year ago I had my agent meet with them. They weren't ready yet, but we said we'd give everybody an hour. They came in, sat here, had a conversation about the different areas, blah, 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 blah. Goes on. They end up texting us back this like this week, and they said, hey, we're going to be in the area. Um, we'd love to get together. We actually ended up selling our house. We're ready to go. And it's just like, hey, they came back. And we actually, for whatever reason, we just never even – our agent just had it in their database in the very back and just never ended up following up with the lead. But still, though, that lead came back and worked with our agent because of that one hour that he gave them. So it speaks volume to what you can do is if you just change your mindset of like, oh, I'm wasting my time, blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? It's just a change in your mindset, of how, especially how you're going to do it here in this market. Yeah, this is such a great uh, setup. So basically making sure that at least at a minimum, it sounds like they're able to buy and that's enough to get them to a meeting. Now, there's probably a lot of back and forth between the ISAs and the agents, right? You give someone to them, they meet with them for that hour and it's like, no, they actually need more nurturing then that, that goes back and then you guys follow up and there's probably a, a process with that you transfer them back and forth. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So for instance, like when I set an appointment for you, hypothetically, say I set an appointment for you, they gave me the help mom. They're going to buy within the next 90 days. They actually come to town. Um, you meet with them, have a great conversation. You guys go look at a property. You find out that it's like, Hey, listen, we appreciate you showing us this condo. We just feel like this isn't a good place for us. We're probably not going to end up moving here. 
you would just end up sending it back to me, tagging me in, putting it into my name in a specific stage so I can see it the next day. I would end up following up with that lead and saying, hey, I just wanted to double check and reach out to you. Um, Matt, let me know that you guys decided to go ahead and pass on this area. We really appreciate the time that you spent with us. If things happen in the future, let me know. Or if you all of a sudden decide that the other places you look aren't necessarily a better place than here, we'd be more than happy to take care of you. Then I'd put it into a specific spot in my database and I would continue just to nurture it as time goes on. Like I would just continuously until they, if they tell me to shut off their listing alerts, I shut off their listing alerts. If they tell me that they're never gonna buy here, never, 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 then I'll go ahead and still put it into a spot where I can still find it if I necessarily need to. We understand that people change their minds all the time. And we understand that everybody's human. So um, we don't ever consider a lead as I guess dead. We always just consider that this lead is just not ready yet. Um, so things change. So you have someone that's really interested, but maybe they're not pre-approved. They're not pre-qualified for whatever reason. They're not, they can't take action today. And so how do you handle someone that really wants to move forward, but can't like, how do you handle the follow-up? Yeah, I just usually will have a conversation with them. If they tell me like, Hey, we want to do this, blah, 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 blah. This is where we're at. However, we have a hard criteria as the reason why we can't move forward, whether that be their credit score, whether that be the fact that they're waiting on a job offer or they're waiting on like something happening before they can move here. I'll just make sure it's tagged in the appropriate stage and put into a specific spot in my database where I can continuously follow up with them until they are ready. And when they get to that 90 day mark and they're ready to go, or they say they have a trip plan, then we'll go ahead and get them in front of an agent, or I'll just usually transfer to an agent when they're in that 90 day mark after I have a conversation, letting them know that Matt will be reaching out to have a conversation with them about this. Sweet. I think we would be totally missing the mark if we didn't leverage what you've learned about sales by like, I mean, how many sales calls do you think you've made at this point in your career or attempts oh, we'll say? Man. Attempts? Um... I mean, I can actually even probably tell you realistically. Um, it's a lot. I mean, it's if I'm on average attempts, if I'm averaging about 500 attempts a day, and I've been doing this for almost six years, um, I can tell you just in our system itself here, like activity-wise, it's going to be a lot. <laughs> it's going to be a lot, especially just looking at this over the class, of course, of, I guess, two years that I've been in this system. I'm just waiting for it to load here. 500 attempts um, is like 100,000 a year, let's say. Oh, it's more than 100,000 a year, like 125,000 a year. So you're probably talking, you're probably getting close, three quarters of a million to a million attempts, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah, so this year, I guess, um, the best way to look at it, so I guess this year, or sorry, last year, all of last year, I did about 61,000 texts, 38,000 emails, and about 35,000 calls. Incredible. So if I'm doing that on average, and I was in, in all honesty and full transparency, I probably wasn't being, I wasn't an ISA full time last year. I was only probably about half the time just because I was busy doing leading and trying to make sure other people are set up where they need to be building out Canary, building out all these different things to make sure that we're still in the right spot. So yeah, I mean, it would be, be kind of weird to see where we're at in the future. So. so with that much activity, you can't help but get obviously really, really good and see patterns and trends what are some of the nuggets, the things that work, things that don't work that you've learned from this, this much volume? Uh, the first thing I'll say this to everybody is there's no such thing as a bad lead, just bad follow-up. Um, there really is. I mean, it really comes down to who's working the lead. I mean, if, if there is no bad lead and it's just bad follow-up, it just comes down to where you're talking to them. I mean, every lead is going to have some sort of criteria or some sort of objection or some sort of... Um, like anything that needs to be overcome or embraced to 
really see what's going to be on the, like the end result. Everybody's going to have a timeline of some sort. It's just your job to find out their timeline. I mean, I've seen probably every objection you probably imagine, except for probably 2008, 2009. But like, um, I just know that every lead has a life. Like every lead has a specific path that they're going to take. It's your job to find out and talk to them when they're going to really buy. Um, and I know a lot of times, as long as you just have that and you're able to put them into the right spot, you're going to be able to really, really, really profit off of what you guys are doing with your databases is really using your database to work for you instead of you just working harder and trying to remember things. Use your database like you're brushing your teeth. I mean, you do it every day, so you might as well still use your database every day. I find people all the time that just, for whatever reason, they're still using notes and like their pen and paper. And I'm just like, dude, there's got to be an easier way. Like you shouldn't have to remember to call someone. You should be notified to call someone. You know what I mean? Like that just should be exactly how it's set up. And if you have to think about doing something or if you've sent a text message five times in a row, or if you sent a text message five times and you're like, man, I've written this before, make it a template, put it in your system. You're probably going to send that 500 more times in your career. So just work smarter and not harder because the thing is, is like you're going to end up doing the same action over and over as long as you're in this career. You're going to send the same text message. So you're going to get, who is this 500,000 times? You're going to say, Hey, this is Travis with Oak and Ocean here in the area, blah, 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 blah. I've sent that so many times. So I was like, I'm just going to make a template titled, who is this? So I know exactly what to send the second that I get it. So yeah, that's one of my things I say to everybody is just like, just make your life easier by automating things or using your system more use technology. Right. And in your system, obviously everything's queued up. So you're notified. So when you show up, the only thing you have to do is call through your list. And, and, and work through your list. And at the end of the day, when the list is done, your job is done. Yep. So yeah, it's like our system itself now is set up to, it's like, I only need to make about 15 dials today. I'll probably set about five appointments today just because my database has been warmed up so much via text and email, because that's just the business that we're in nowadays. And I have the things set up in place to allow them. The second I call them, they know exactly what it's about. I don't necessarily need to call them every single day until I get a response because they've already talked to me for so much time already that they've been nurtured. That's why I always say to people is like, don't paint yourself in a box that you're just going to call this lead every day. They trigger an alert because they looked at a property. Don't just call them blindly. Don't just call them automatically because they did something behavioral. You need to understand the patterns of what they're doing. If this is a lead that's more than a year out and they've looked at 30 properties before this, like don't just randomly be like, Hey, are you ready to buy? It's like, they told me last month that they're not going to do this for another year. If they really want my help, they will let me know because they've already told me their time frame. They already told me where I need to follow up with it. But don't be so distant that you are just forgotten about. Make sure you do send them a targeted intentional text message or a targeted intentional email at a specific time. If I see them look at five properties in a row and I haven't talked to them in more than like two months, I know to send a specific text message or a specific email to keep that conversation alive because I've done it so many times once before. And I've seen that it works time and time again, that I know if I do it at this point in time, that it, that happens. I use Myro board a lot because it's like, I know my workflows and things like that. I know to track things. And I know it's like, okay, if I send this text message this day, I'm going to get either this response or this response. What did I say when they responded with this? What did I say when they responded with this? I'm like, okay. And I built that out. And I like AB tested it to see like, okay, did they respond better than this text message or did they respond better than this text message? It's like 75% of people responded better than this text message because I've seen it so many times. So now I'm just going to forever use this one instead of this one that was getting 25% response rate. You know what I mean? It's like at over six years of doing that, you kind of have a good understanding of like what the lead flow is going to look like or what the path of lead to closing is going to look like. 
So you mentioned like, okay, they're starting to look at five properties and you kind of know what to send. Like give us some of those nuggets. What do you send to someone who's still a little bit of ways out, but now they're starting to have pretty good activity? Yeah. Yeah, normally my text message will just look something like, hey, Matt, uh, Travis here. I know we spoke a little bit ago, but I just want you to understand, I know you said you're not ready for a realtor yet, which is great. But if you do see something you want information on, let me know. I'm always here to be of service to you and just provide any value. I don't ever tell them, like, hey, what'd you think about that property that you just clicked on? Like, that's just so, so bad because I've had people too, too many times like, are you just looking at everything that I'm looking at? And it's like, yeah, it's just kind of creepy, kind of weird. And I understand that. We think it's just normal. But the average client doesn't realize that we're just looking at that stuff. You know what I mean? Like I'm getting notified when someone just looks at some random property, but I'm not going to let them know that like blah, blah, blah. Now, if they favored it, I'll let them know and say, hey, I saw that you favored this property. Let me know what you think about this, blah, 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 blah. Or if I see that they looked at property, something, a behavioral trigger, and I see that they looked at the same property over and over and over, I'll usually send them a text message with five properties and it will have that one property in there also. And I'll say, hey, thought about you, saw all of these thought they might be good fits. Let me know what you think. And that one property that they looked at over and over and over again is going to be in there. So it doesn't look like I'm just, I am asking their opinion on that property they looked at. I'm like, Hey, I was thinking about you stumbled across your name, thought, saw these five properties, thought about you. What do you, let me know what you think. You know what I mean? Like that's going to be a much better touch than just, Hey, saw you looked at one, two, three main street. What do you think about it? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It just sounds weird. Yeah, you're almost uh, applying. Well, you are applying Robert Greene's seductive principles, right? I mean, it's like you're you're tangentially touching on what they're thinking about, but not in a direct way. So you avoid the creepiness, and uh, but you still get the benefits of of obviously hitting on what they're thinking about. So let's talk about like so that's once they're engaging in your system and looking at properties. But what about before that? Like when you when you really haven't made good substantial contact yet? Like do you have like a list of like here's the items of value we want to provide to them? There's twelve of them, and we kind of send these on the on a periodic basis? Yeah. A lot of the times we'll usually just follow up and like, say it's a lead that's in the very, very, very back depths of your database, lead number 17,412. And you haven't talked to this lead in like four years. It's usually a targeted text message just saying, especially around like holiday time. Um, we'll usually do it like on a six month mark or something like that. Just, but a lot of the times just like, Hey, just coming through our database and we're just making sure that everything is just set up properly. Or we'll basically say, Hey, we're just making sure all the information we have up to date. You've been in our database for quite some time now. Um, I don't know if you have had plans or if you've even bought without us already, if you have congratulations. Um, but let me know if you've like pick a number when you think you might buy or sell real estate. You know what I mean? Like, just let me know if you think that one of these things we've gotten people that have said like, yeah, we're looking to do it in the next six months. We've gotten people like looking to do it in the next three more than a year. We've gotten, F you, we've gotten stop, we've gotten everything. You know what I mean? We've gotten delete me. This is no longer that name. We've gotten everything you'd imagine. But realistically, after, out of a hundred text messages that we sent, at least 25 of them will come back with something positive about like, hey, like, no, we're not interested. Like when I get not interested, that just means not now. When I get uh, like, when I get, oh, we're more than a year out, I'm like, okay, putting that in my database. I'll follow up in the future. They say, Hey, well, actually we're looking next three months. I'm like, all right, cool. What are you guys specifically looking for? Now I can set up an appointment for an agent, like a lot of different ways you can approach it. But yeah, that's just usually the best way. We usually start off with a text message because we need to set up a text message first. And especially if I'm going to go to call this lead, I can't just cold call my database because there's so many things in place like Android, iOS. There are so many things in place that are stopping cold call. Like I can't tell you how many times my phone actually doesn't ring, but I get missed calls because my phone has just stopped, miss, stopped like unknown dialer or like potential spam or whatever it is. So we're always trained to, instead of call, text, email, we now changed it to text, call, email, 
we text with our name, um, who we are, blah, 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 and then we call it. And I can tell you just from this, and this is that nugget right here, I could set up a list of 100 people on the left, set up a list of 100 people on the right. We have done it so many times, just A-B testing, 25% increase on answer rate on the list that we text first and the list that we just straight up call. That's a pretty profound increase. That's over about 10,000 different, like that's over 10,000 texts and calls. So that's just tracking those numbers at a high level, 25% over 10,000 attempts. It's a pretty good number that you can stand by. So texting first, obviously, as the systems become more pervasive in Android and iPhones to, to prevent people from calling. So obviously that's a really, really good nugget. So if, if we continue to expand this, so you're, it sounds like most of the communication is fairly tied to the properties that they're looking for and looking at, right? Does, is there like, do you send them like home buyer reports or is there anything that's more tangential or is it almost all like on point with the property that they're looking to buy? Um, we actually recently started doing the home seller experience, um, which is through YLOPO here, which has done a pretty good job at making sure people are getting, um, like they're just basically getting properties that have sold or have under contract in their area that might be of like of value to them based off of specific areas and their zip codes and stuff. Um, but majority of the time, it's usually just a targeted text message. And I always say it a lot because uh, my buddy Ryan always tells me, he's like, the cool thing about your system is that we try to build relationships based off of language instead of action. Uh, we try to get people to buy or sell real estate with language. So we say things that would get people to be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So let's like talk about it. Let's dig deeper on it. Instead of saying, hey, look at these listings, do this. Hey, look at these listings, do that. We don't we don't necessarily do it. I think everybody's going to buy or sell real estate. So therefore, whether they're looking or not is irrelevant to me. You know what I mean? Whether they're looking or not, whether they're looking now or they're looking 10 years from now, it's irrelevant. Like that type of stuff doesn't matter to me. Obviously, I'd rather them have on my listing alerts, but whether they're looking on your website or my website, doesn't matter. I'm going to do whatever I can to build that relationship and just be persistent and consistent with what I'm doing to build that relationship. So yeah, everything is probably just based off of language and not specific based off of like, hey, look at this home market report or hey, look at this CMA that we sent over something generic that they probably don't realize is just a normal automation and not something that is very specific and targeted to them. Perfect. Yeah. So specific and targeted is probably the main methodology that you guys use. And for you personally, persistent and consistent, I like these kind of two word setups there. One thing that I'm just floored by as far as your consistency is six years in the role, full speed. And so I want to dive into like at this point, there's a lot of people that be saying to themselves, my gosh, I'm closing a hundred deals a year. I could just buy the leads, hire agents to serve them, run my own shop. Like, obviously there's just such value in, in staying in a lane. Can you, can you talk to why you haven't done that? Well, I will say, I mean, just kind of what you just said is like, you could just buy the leads, close a hundred deals a year, buy the leads, do that. But the thing is though, is I know agents just, this isn't against agents. The agents just don't work the leads. It's just what it comes down to. It's the same reason why whenever I have a lead source come into the database, it doesn't go to agents first. Because if I go into just anybody's database right now that was sending like realtor.com, PPC leads to an agent, it's getting lost in the first 10 days no matter what. Where I can control it through an ISA and have the ISA following up with it. I know if I control it, even if I was to be a CEO of a team, I would hire, I would hire agents underneath me. And I would literally still... As a CEO, be the ISA controlling what is being sent in the first 10 days and making sure 
that that conversation is going through me still because I do know the second that an agent gets a bad reply or the second that an agent gets a response that wasn't up to their liking or whatever it was, it's just getting left there. It's just getting left alone and it's just not even being talked to. That's why it's such a fail in this industry is if you have a VA or an ISA, have the leads go to them and let them do a lead rotation to the agents that are up next. You know what I mean? The agents that are going to get the res- or get the lead itself because I just know the leads get lost. What is, you know, I heard you say as I was, you know, doing some research that your guys is like set to met is like 90 something percent. What's the expectation of when an appointment gets to an agent's purview? Like what, what's the expected conversion rate on those leads from an agent side? So I usually track it at about, so it's going to vary obviously between different agents just because of different skill sets itself. Um, I know like, for instance, out of every, I have an agent on my team out of every four leads that I set, like she'll close two of those leads that'll be closed. That's start to finish. So we usually go, I mean, we started about when I first started here, it was like for every, like, I don't know, like 13 appointments that we set, like one was a closing right now we're shooting for about every five. So every five appointments we set one will close. Um, that's just kind of where we're at with things. And that's just, that's just a good standard. It's industry standard for an ISA to close about 25%, which is just so ridiculous. A 25% conversion rate for an ISA is ridiculous because it's like, okay, how many appointments are they actually setting? If they're that high in conversion rate, then they're pulling away from some point because it's like, are they setting enough opportunities to be lower than 25% or are they spending too much time on their conversion because one out of four, that's wild. Especially if you're setting three appointments a day, you're telling me you're getting a one, like close to one closing a day. That's ridiculous. So then that's usually coming down to, it's like, okay, they're only setting one appointment a day, which means they're setting five a week, which means like, okay, if they're closing one, one out of five or one out of four, it's like, all right, that's a pretty decent number. But if I want them to set more opportunities, and I can even show you two ISAs standing side by side. An ISA that has 25% conversion rate and only set this amount of appointments. I can show you an ISA that say doubled their appointments set. They would have close to almost double their closings sometimes. You know what I mean? It's just the amount of opportunities that you're actually getting out there. And there are things that you're probably taking away from. And I say it all the time. It's like, you are an ISA, which means you only get it to here. After that point, then let the agent take it. A lot of the big fail for ISA sometimes is like, well, I want to make sure I find the perfect property for them. I'm like, okay, but the second you give it to this agent, that agent's just like, what? I have zero relationship with this lead. I'm just going out there and showing them a home and getting a closing. A lot of agents are like, hell yeah, I love that. But the thing is though, is the second they don't get that closing, they have zero, zero relationship built with that lead. So now they can't fall back on it and they can't be like, well, hey, let's go see this property. It's like, well, I was just going to talk to Travis again. It's like, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't necessarily want that because I want them to work with that agent still. So there's a lot of different push and pulls when it comes to different things like that. A lot of different variables that you can run into. So, Well, and you want to free yourself up too to be talking to more prospects to generate more appointments and so on and so forth. So as quickly as you can transition the lead to the agent and have it be successful, the better. Um, yeah. yeah, that makes total sense. Do you take on teams? Like I, I could see you're going in the coaching direction. You're working with Chet Black. You're putting out Canary Conversion. Like, are you committed just to a single team or, or if, if there's a team out there that has 60,000 leads, can you help them? Uh, I personally cannot. Um, I, yes, I am designated to my team here. I'm very loyal to my team here um, with Oak and Ocean here in Myrtle Beach um, just because I'm only in front of you in front of all these different people. And even with Chet Black and um, Preston and all these different big names is because of my team here. Like they allowed me to have the creative freedom to build out Canary. They've allowed me the creative freedom to 
do all my different things to get to those hundred closings plus a year and to train other ISAs and train other agents and coach other ISAs. And so it's like, that's just my loyalty here is they've allowed me to do that. But the cool thing is though, is I always like to pick and choose ISAs to work with different teams. So, I mean, I'm a, I am usually talking to a lot of different ISAs a lot of different times that might not be happy with the teams that they're with. So um, I usually try to pick and choose what agents might be a good fit for a specific team based off of personalities and stuff. And so far I've done a pretty good job at that. Um, but like I said, ISA role is such a hard position to come by because it's such a weird, I guess, unicorn role because sometimes agents are like, why don't I just go be an agent? It's like, okay, I get it. I understand that. However, that's different. Do you want to sit in your car at eight o'clock at night eating a Nutri-Grain bar while you're waiting to do this next showing? Or do you want to just work eight to five and just maybe answer a two minute phone call and potentially get paid $3,000? You know what I mean? Like that's just, it's just a different mindset. It's a different, like a different vision to have in your life. But I've met a lot of different ISAs that are like, I just want to sit my eight to five, have a salary, have benefits, have a lot of different things, you know what I mean? And just do it that way and just go home and be done with it. So yeah, it's different for sure. But yeah, if you find an ISA, I would be more than happy to train them, coach them, talk to them, just do anything. Um, just because I love the ISA role and anybody that wants to be an ISA, I want to meet. Because that's the type of person that I want to surround myself with, because that's a different mindset to have for someone who wants to be an ISA. Love it. And so if someone wants, let's say if someone wants to be an ISA and they want to be trained by you, do they have to be remote to you or do they have to be like local to you or can they be remote? No, yeah, they can absolutely be uh, be remote. I mean, Chet Black offerings. Um, if you go there, like you can have my coaching. We do it that way. I think I'm building out like a class, um, like a four week long class, which will be great. But yeah, no, I mean, I like talking to everybody. Anybody here in office? Anybody in Myrtle Beach? Anybody outside of Myrtle Beach? Zoom calls. I mean, my calendar is available for a lot of different people. So it's like as long as it's on my calendar, I'll show up and I'll just talk ISA. So I mean, that's really all I know. So. Travis, thank you so much, man, about sharing your, about your life and your business and for being the unicorn that has stayed the path uh, so that we can get all the nuggets and the gold. I appreciate you just, I mean, obviously being a completely open book about everything we've asked you. Um, so guys, write down something that you learned. Maybe it's like, hey, if you're having success on the phones and you don't want to be out at nights and weekends, you want to be home with your family, this is a good way to do that. Um, I've watched people personally go to multiple six figures of income without having to do some of the crazy stuff that agents do. But write down something from the day that you've learned. Share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day, before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode.